Hello and welcome to the Empathy Podcast. My name's Leanne Butterworth. I'm an empathy educator, TEDx speaker, and founder of the social enterprise Empathy First, an all-round healthy empathy enthusiast. Today we're talking about empathy and conversations about death with Simon Lowe from the Aging Revolution and Ewan Black from the Good Death Impact Network. Now, of course, I must put a warning on this episode as we may discuss some pretty uncomfortable topics about death and dying, so listener discretion is advised. I was intrigued to discuss this topic as Simon and Ewan and a huge team of collaborators have developed this beautiful card game, Carked It. Carked It aims to make having conversations about death and dying something to enjoy, have fun with, and even have a giggle or a belly laugh over. I actually bought the game last year as part of their Kickstarter campaign. I love it. Carked It is played with a group of three to six friends, and you can choose what you want to happen before and after your death from a selection of ridiculous proposals. The best proposals put forward will be crowned as winners. From learning about gilded skulls, becoming a tree egg, and deciding between death by lawnmower or by helicopter blade, to serious things like doing a will and writing a posthumous revenge letter to your enemies. Open up interesting and funny conversations about your inevitable end while you still can. Welcome to the Empathy Podcast. Today, let's explore conversations about death and dying. Why is empathy important? Why is understanding important? Why are we having this conversation? And then a little bit about how to do it. So welcome, Simon and Ewan. Firstly, happy birthday to Ewan. Thank you. And secondly, I love the game. So I've got the game. I've bought the game. It's so beautifully designed and fun, yet really important and reflective. So Simon and Ewan, could you please tell me a little bit about yourselves and the evolution of the game Carked It? My name's Ewan and I'm coming to you today from Ghana country in Adelaide. And I have been, I guess, working with a number of change makers in the end of life space for the last four years. We come together in a network called the Good Death Impact Network and I'm the lead convener of that network. Over time, we've accumulated an innovation fund, which is a bunch of money that we can put towards things that we believe need to exist to create better death and dying outcomes in Australia. And one of the things that we wanted to invest in was an idea that Simon had for a card game, like a really fun way to open the door just enough to broach the taboo subject that is death. Maybe Simon can talk to you about that. So, yeah, I'm Simon. I'm on Turrbal and Yagara land on the south banks of the Brisbane River. So I'm the co-founder of an organisation called The Ageing Revolution. We started in 2015. In 2016, we did a big road trip around Australia, ran storytelling events to try to understand some of the problems about what it's like to grow older. We clocked up 16,000 kilometres in a 1989 short wheelbase Pajero over five months running storytelling events. So that's a whole other story. And we've always been interested in how we can improve the systems around growing older and ageing and how we can look at ageism and how we can also increase personal resilience because there's loads of talking heads in the aging space to tell you all the problems and there's very few people actually doing something. So we joined the end of life network of the Good Death Impact Network because it was really obvious that if you didn't have good conversations, that people didn't know how you wanted to live, let alone how you wanted to die. And so if you don't know how you want to live, you don't have conversations around what you want to do before you die, where do you want to visit? What is a good death to you in terms of 
where and who's there. And then we obviously worked a lot with the healthcare systems as well doing our work. So it's like, do you have an advanced care plan? Do people know what you want? Do they know your faith? And so all these are questions that people don't talk about. And then obviously there's an inherent ageism in our society as well, where people are allergic to growing older, let alone talking about dying. So when we sort of you and posited the question, how can we improve conversations around dying and death and making sure people have good deaths and that whole thing was pretty much exacerbated and exaggerated by COVID. The idea was you can't go down the traditional route of serious government, let's have you got an advanced care plan. You've got to make it fun. Like, and so there's a card game called Cards Against Humanity where you, and I think Stanford or Harvard did a study around, it actually increases empathy by talking about really difficult conversations around things like racism, sexism, gender inequality in a humorous kind of messed up way. And so we wanted to take that and then do it around dying and death and start having serious conversations in a funny way and then throw things in there that are like, what is an advanced care plan? I don't know, I'll look it up on the internet, you know. And other things like, you know, what's diaphanization? I don't know, I'll look it up. Some's more serious than others. But it starts that conversation. And just by starting the conversation, you know that you're hoping that more actions will follow. And so what got you into the ageing space, the death and dying space in the first place? So my background's strategic partnerships and loyalty marketing and changing behavior. And then I kind of had a, a bit of an epiphany around, I don't like what I do because basically I'm convincing people to buy shit they don't even know they want yet. I'd rather help the world do something. And so I ended up running Seniors Card for the New South Wales government for about two years, looking at how we can actually improve the lives of older people. And through that, I run storytelling events. And that tradition was based, obviously, on the knowledge transfer and stories of the First Nations people of this, of this country. And then giving people a voice. And this is kind of like how I met Leonie. So Leonie was running the seniors in Queensland. And we met at a conference, had some tequila. One thing led to another. And here I am with her partner and stepdad. And um, started the Aging Revolution. And it's like, how can we do things differently? I think it was out of mutual frustration around the negative language about aging, the rhetoric around it, the grey tsunami, the problem with the healthcare system, ageism around employment. And as a woman, she found ageism around, you know, self-directed ageism, about 40 and 50. And like, I can't do this because I'm in my 50s. I can't do this because I'm perimenopause. And so we started the aging revolution because we wanted to kind of shift the narrative. We didn't know what we were doing or how we wanted to do it. I was lucky enough to be sent on a benevolent society year-long course around leadership and how you look at adaptive sort of problems, wicked problems. And so we thought, let's go talk to people. Let's go talk to people about what it's like to grow older. And that's why we did the road trip. And so I think one of the things that Ewan and I have in common and Leonie is the whole idea around co-design, design thinking. If you're going to make, if you're going to find solutions for people, use, include the people who have lived experience in the design of it. And that's how we kind of got into this whole area. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. You into this space. So death, first of all. So about 14 years ago, my brother died in an unfortunate accident just before his daughter was born. And that was obviously a really traumatic experience for my family. And I think, you know, I was actually in therapy straight after that to help myself get through it. But my parents never did that. And it took fully 14 years of them processing before they even dealt with my brother's things and got rid of his stuff. And I think, you know, there's 14 years of their lives where they could have had a different experience if they had had the tools and the skills and the 
like ability to have empathy for themselves and get the support they need um, rather than just trudging through that kind of black hole that grief can become. So for me, there's that kind of personal desire to see people not have to, of course, grief is going to be there. It's with you every day when you lose someone as close as that. But it doesn't need to be a dark cloud. Like grief can also look like the joy in remembering your loved one, the joy of knowing that their wishes were met as they were dying or after they were dying and knowing that you've honored them in the ways that they wanted to be honored. And I think uh, when I came to the Australian Centres for Social Innovation, where I work, we were funded by the Wicking Trust to start a network uh, to make a good death possible. And we can talk a bit more about what a good death, what I mean by a good death. Um, And that led to me meeting Simon and eventually this game. So what's going on in this space? What's Australia like? Do we talk about death? Do we not talk about death? Do we all just pretend it's never going to happen? What's actually going on in Australia when it comes to death, dying, conversations about it? So I think quite a lot of it depends on the culture you're from. Like if you're from the Western Anglo-Saxon Protestant, like waspy culture, hardly anybody talks about it because they're too busy trying to look young still because they're allergic to growing old, let alone talking about death. And I think it's very much a taboo subject. It's like, don't talk to me about dying. Don't, even when someone's in their 80s, well, my dad died of motor neuron disease, so he knew he was dying, and he still refused to talk about himself dying. And you're like, why? And I think it is this trauma and this process. They just, I think we, see, we seem to be allergic to the inevitable. We try to cling on to youth. All the language around aging is basically, you know, I think... Ashton Applewhite puts it really good. It's like ageism is a prejudice against your future self. And like death denial is almost like a prejudice against your own good end. And so, but we just don't do it. But I think other communities, you know, other immigrant communities from maybe Asia or the Mediterranean region, they have much better conversations around dying and death. And I think, you know, it might be how we live as well. Cross generations live much more closely together. So so Leone, for example, comes from an Italian background and they had... She lived with her mother and her grandmother all in a house. So death was something they talked about because you were all together. And then I think, obviously, First Nations people talk about death in a very different way. And then what actually that means in terms of transcendence of energies and souls and faith. And I think communities do talk about it in a different way. But I think the modern Australia has, does have an issue talking about it. But I think a lot more seems to be happening in the space around death doulas and around serious conversations and that's why then sort of the network started to try and connect all these dots you and i probably probably good point you carry on well i think the only thing that i would really add to what simon has shared is that death used to be something that happened at home that we were all around and over time there has been a medicalization of death where death is now something that happens in a clinical setting and with a healthcare professional who in the majority of cases has maybe only spent two hours of their entire training learning how to have conversations about death a lot of it is actually about preserving life rather than honoring with dignity that someone is dying and it's time to let them go and a lot of people who haven't had the chance to have meaningful conversations with their loved one about dying don't advocate for them to be left alone to be allowed to be died they like try and save them at every cost regardless of what quality of life might emerge on the other side of those medical interventions. 
And that's a, a really sad state of affairs because it might not even be what that person would have desired for themselves. Just to add to that, I think I heard a story from a professor who did some work overseas and they, they had all these overseas doctors go to this hospital and the doctors were like, wanted to show their most successful patient and they'd kept a person in a coma alive for 10 years. And to them, that was success. And to me, our version of what success means in the medical world is very different from what actually, from a personal point of view, success might mean. So I think that's sort of kind of like another issue we have, right? Like when do you want to go and how do you want to go? Yeah. And I guess that leads into that next point of why is this so important? Like why is it a conversation that we need to have? I think choice is a big thing. So obviously there are laws changing around the country around voluntary assisted dying. And I think they're really important. And if, if you're going to start looking down at voluntary assisted dying, you need to start having those conversations. And I think the problem with not having conversations is choice and basically your control of your life is taken away from you. If people don't know what you want or how you want to live or how you want to die or where, as soon as you're in a medical system, you're in a system and you have no choice. You have no, you have no power about what happens to you. So I think you need to start having these conversations so you do have control of what happens before, during and after. Mm. We actually undertook some research at the start of this whole project to understand what is important to people at the end of their life. And we came out with kind of eight key things. So for the person who is dying, what's important to them is that their values and what matters to them is upheld throughout their end of life journey. It's important that they are supported to live well through the dying process, uh, that they die in a place of their choosing and not unnecessarily in an institutional setting like an aged care facility or in a hospital, and that they're not a burden to their loved ones during that process. Those are the main concerns we heard from people who are dying. And then for their loved ones, what we heard is they didn't want to see the person suffer or be in physical and emotional pain. So comfort was important to them. They also wanted to be able to work through bereavement at their own pace um, and be supported through the journey of grief and loss and um, be acknowledged as part of the care team. Often they don't even get acknowledged that they may, might have been caring for someone for years. So actually be acknowledged in a clinical setting as part of the care team. And then finally, just be supported physically, emotionally, and financially to play a role across the journey of their loved one dying. So yeah, that, that's what a good death looks like to the Australians that we spoke to. So then what do you think we're afraid of? Why do you think we don't have these conversations in the waspy side of things? I think finality, like the end, is a terrifying prospect for people. We don't like to think that our time is finite or, you know, people search for purpose, like, why am I here? And all those big philosophical questions we have. And to actually go like, well, I've had this before. So I remember I'm a qualified yoga teacher. And my very first day of going to yoga class, I think I made half of the people learning cry. Because a lot of the people were like, why are you doing this? I went, oh, I understand our purpose and why we're here. And I'm like, there is no purpose. There's no reason you're here. And then you're not here. You just have to do what you can whilst you're here to like basically bring joy and improve the lives of others. But once you're gone, you're gone. And I think lots of people continually, whether they be of faith or not of faith, struggle with the idea that you're gone. And it's the fact that 
what, what are you going to miss? Are you going to miss your kids growing up, your grandkids? Who's going to be upset and left and bereaved? Now, this is another reason why these conversations are important, because if you don't have the conversations, paradoxically, people will be left behind not knowing what to do and be grieving and don't understand what anything is or what you want. And so it's like we try and avoid the conversations because we want to forget, ignore it's happening. By ignoring it's happening and not having the conversations, you actually, the fears that you probably have around what will happen when you go will actually happen. A very wise friend of mine um, once told me that it's not just the fear of death that stops us doing these things. It's actually the fear of not living. So am I actually doing the things in my life that I want to be doing? Am I actually living in the way that I want to be within this world? And that can be really confronting. So it's actually the duality of like, yes, I'm scared of dying, but the reason I'm scared of that is I might not have done any of the stuff that I really cared about or felt passionately for. Yeah. Have absolutely. you just come up with a key metric of the game, measuring the game, you and others? Maybe. There's the evaluation. If people, the divorce rate of people playing the game goes up because they suddenly realize they don't want to be with that person. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Like it's, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense because then you go, well, hang on. I can't procrastinate anymore. I can't put that off. If I'm going to do something, I need to do it. Now I need to get brave. I need to get self-reflective as opposed to going, no, 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 I'll do that later. I think that's the other thing about death. So as part of this making this game, I talked to lots of people who are death doulas, people in palliative care, people who have lost someone, carers. I've done a lot of work with carers as part of our aging revolution work. One of the most amazing places I went was a palliative care hospital in Brisbane for children. It's called Hummingbird House and it's in North Brisbane. And it's basically where kids go who are terminal, who like, you know, you're going to... So it's a very challenging place to be when you're talking to a nine-year-old and they're fully aware they're going to be dead within a year. And then you have to talk to the parents about that nine-year-old. And the converse, and so this is part of some of the how we designed the game was about how do you have these difficult conversations? And I think people also think death is an old thing. When we first started designing this game, they're like, oh, you've got to go to aged care facilities. You've got to talk to old people about death. It's like young people die too. People our age die all the time. On the, one of the questions we asked when we did our road trip around the aging revolution is like, what do you think is good about aging? And then one of the women said, aging, because my husband died last year and he was 29. And so aging is a privilege. And obviously medical science has made us 83, 82. So this whole idea that death is also the domain of the old is also something we need to talk about. Because it's like, well, what happens if someone gets, a, gets an illness or, or is taken from us to in an awful accident? My brother was 27, you know. And I think it's that death is inevitable. It's literally the only thing that every human on this planet has in common. And yet we wait to discuss it. We wait, we think it's something that's gonna be in a far off distant time. Like it could happen tomorrow. If we actually talk about death today, then we're gonna have a better life regardless. I think it's that's what it is. The key to a good life is actually talking about death. Yeah, absolutely. And sort of, I guess, realising that it is a gift, realising that ageing is a gift. Is there a different way that children talk about it to older folks? Yeah, actually, it's really interesting. So we did like five or six prototypes of the game and people played them with families and children. And I was talking to other mothers and fathers of kids and also the children themselves and um, we were like is this and they, we really put our adult lens on this where it's like oh it's a taboo subject can children handle it talking about death 
They handled it way easier than we do. Way easier because they haven't had all these years to like conceptualize or process or they're just like, and so I don't know whether it's because the concept of death's different. So the games in the card, would you rather game? Which, would you rather be trampled to death by camels or eaten by a killer whale? That's all influenced by children who, when we started playing the game, they're like, would you rather be mauled <laughs> to death by a gorilla or eaten by a shark? I'm like, I don't know. Okay, I'll have to think about that one. And then they go, why? And then you go like, oh, pain. I don't want to be in pain. Okay. And so kids talk about it fine. Because again, and I think this is one of the things that came out through this, like having pets or having grandmothers. Kids are exposed to death too. And so as long as it's a safe space to have these conversations with children, they're fine with it. More, probably more fine than adults. Yeah, and I guess that's then that connection potentially that you've made of making the game fun. Like why is that the angle that you've taken? Because it's amazing. Like we'll, we'll, talk, we'll show you the game. Well, who, who wants to play a game that's not fun? <laughs> like, I think that's like the, the, the whole point of a game is that you have fun when you're playing it. And I guess the thing that I love about it is I played it with all my colleagues at work. I played it, I went on a like boys weekend away and we played it and we had the funnest, like sit around with drinks, playing like how you're gonna die, giving each other, read each other's eulogies, like literally crying with laughter. And what I love about this game though is you play the fun cards, but in your hand, you've got a bunch of, serious ones intermingled in there. So there's this real, like, beautiful passive education that happens while you're having fun. But it, it will make you cry, cry with, like, joy, like, with laughter. So Was is. there any hesitation in, in matching up sort of fun, joy, laughter and conversations about death? Was there any? No, that's why we did it. Because we're like, how can we have conversations? How do you start a difficult conversation? You start it by making it easy and how do you make something easy it's like well, you have to make it what somebody people want to do and people want to talk about themselves people like being ridiculous being absurd having fun and basically just give people permission to do that yeah what's some of the feedback you've had so far it's all been really good so people use it in different ways so some people follow the rules other people just make rules up as they go along and so a friend of mine played it with 15 of his mates and had to divide people up into teams and they all had five this and this and they just use it to craft stories about what they wanted in life. And I think so it actually becomes, that's what, what as Ewan suggested, like, am I doing what I want to do? Maybe I don't. Maybe I do want to go to a desert island and be there for a week. I should probably do that. Or actually, I want to drive a car really fast or swim with a dolphin. And so all the feedback we've had has been, it's been amazing. It's been really, really positive. So Because this was only launched at the end of last year with your Kickstarter, wasn't it? Yeah, not even. It was probably, yeah, about November it was launched. It's out there, so the website's live now, but we haven't had the next, like, we're waiting for um, sort of June, July to give it another big push. It's kind of exhausting. It took two years from concept to launch, and so it was when it, once it gets launched, I think I'd run out of energy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a very, very intricate, beautifully designed, well-thought-out game. So... If I have a look very quickly, we've got three piles of cards. We've got a card, a pile of cards, a green pile of cards called Live. And in looking at them, they are how you want to live, but more specifically things that you have done and that you want to done is want to done. Or want to do, is that right? So the idea is, yeah, it's like before you die, 
what do you want to do? What do you want to do in life? What do you want to do to prepare for your death? What do you want to do to make sure that once you're dead, the people who are left behind are treated or get what you want? So, you know, I, I was with a, um, a father and two daughters, and then we, they were like, I think one's about who gets what, who gets all the stuff. And one of the daughters, well, surely I get, I get your car. And he was like, do you? Um, and they're like, what do you mean I don't get your car? You said I could get your car. <laughs> and so so, so it, start, it starts these conversations. So the whole point is to do that. Um, and then also it kind of plays along the lines of who knows who the best, right? So if are you a materialistic person or, or do you like nature or are you just a bit crazy, messed up and want to do something weird? So the idea is to have these start those discussions about before you die, what do you want to do and how do you want to go? Yeah. And I guess that also, as much as it, it honours the dying person or the person who's died, their wishes, it also potentially can reduce that conflict between siblings and between family members because it's all out in the open because those conflicts can be ugly. Mm. Oh, yeah. And expensive. Sure. <laughs> and expensive. <laughs> exactly. And I know that we played it with my mother-in-law and she said, well, obviously Mavis is going to get the, uh, the statue of, and I'm like, is that written down anywhere? Why is that obvious? I said to her, I'm, yeah, but I don't know you said that to her. If you're dead, I've just got her word for it. And then what if three people said they said that to you? What do I do about that then? So as you alluded to, within those cards, there are things like do a will. So there is no arguments with your family. And you might not play it, but it's there. There's another one, advanced care plan, which is probably a card that no one will ever play around, <laughs> unless you're playing with someone who might be a doctor. They'll appreciate it. But it's... um. We've had people play and then ask, what is an advanced care plan? And then they look it up. And so then they find out what one is because beforehand they might not have known. And so I know the government and you know health organizations are always trying to get people to fill out their advanced care plan and get a will. But um, this just educates people about what it yeah. is. So some of the live cards, if I go random, let me see. We've got a live card. Shark hugging. What extreme thing would you want to do before you die? Shark hugging. That's a very personal card to me because that's actually me in the image hugging a shark, if you look. So my hair's long. It is. I do lots of free diving. And if you notice, the dolphins are actually holding weapons because I also think not all dolphins are nice like people and you're going to get evil dolphins. And I reckon some sharks get the blame for murdering when it's actually Frank, the um, <laughs> traumatised dolphin. Well, there's research to show that <laughs> dolphins are dicks. So, all right, next one. Dish out valuables, collect everything in a pile and hand it out like hotcakes. What would you give away? Because they say you don't, what's that song? You've never seen a hearse with a trailer hitch? Like, you're not taking it with you. It's got to go somewhere. I love that. I think that was the card where he's, where um, the daughter said, I'll get your car, right? Then he started the conversation about who gets what. I want your stuff. How about that brooch? I want grandma's brooch. <laughs> yeah. Donate body to science. Save your family the cost of a funeral and benefit science at the same time. Why would they want your body? <laughs> you've hit on something that I love about the game. So you've got the statement on the card. So, you know, for example, The Last Supper, you organize an amazing last meal with all the things you love to eat and drink. So that might be something that you want to plan for and that you want to have before you go. And then there's conversation starters on each card as well, not on every card, but uh, as you're going through. And I love the one, like, what would you eat, where and with whom? You could end up talking about that for an hour. 
there's so much depth to this game. You literally can just play it as it is at a very surface level, or you can take it real deep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we used to literally have that conversation about donating your body to science because I've got an applied science degree. I've done anatomy with actual people who've donated their body to science. And the question then is, well, I want it to go to science and I want that, but I've seen what first year students do. <laughs> <laughs> like, is that really the best use of my body? Yeah, so that's a question that would get some some debate. So then, oh, and then we've got swimming with dolphins, unless they're dicks, and then we don't want to swim with dolphins. And they're armed. There's the title of this podcast, Dolphins Are Dicks. Dolphins Are Dicks. <laughs> <laughs> get, get lots of people. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Dolphins Are Dicks. <laughs> so then the next pile of cards says die. That's where I'm going next, isn't it? It's the die card. And if I'm understanding correctly, People are, is this the one where people are convincing you or it's the live one where people are convincing you? So the first card you get is the die card. So basically everybody gets one at random unless you're playing with children and then they will want to go through the entire deck and pick how they die because that's what's happened and it's like, that's fine too, do that. But there's three kinds of dying card. One is basically just a how you die. Like you, I think you looked at the one about ripped apart by Dalmatians. The other ones have a diagonal line and that was inspired by my friend's seven-year-old daughter. And so this one here, tickled to death or bitten to death by sexy vampires. So yeah, old, <laughs> old and with regrets or young and with no regrets. So then you've got to choose one and then you've got to explain to people why you chose that one. So that in itself becomes a conversation starter around how you want to die. Like, is it quickly or slowly or with pain or with time to think about it? And then you have the cards that have a question mark and they're basically the ones that say, What's the grossest way to die you can think of? What's the worst way you can die to think of? So, you know, the worst way of die you can think of for a kid or pick a, pick bizarre, a bizarre way to die. Way to die. Yeah. So that could be like drowned to death in a cesspool of elephant dung. I don't know, just made it up. Pick the best way to die. Yes, pick the best way to die. So that could be like, you know, parachute didn't open, sudden, or just surrounded by my whole family with no pain and... and in my sleep. And so, again, they, they can all start conversations around what's a good death for you or what's a bad death. And so they're the three death cards. And so they normally get dished out at random and it can impact your choices. So some people play it really strategically. They'll be like, well, I died like this. Therefore, before I died like this, I was probably doing this or I was doing these things or I want to do that. And other people don't play it strategically. They just go, like, I want to do that. And then you can actually, and then some people create a whole story about their whole life, about what they did before they died and how they died and why they died in a stupid way, yeah, Darwin Award way. One of my favourite board games that I have is Stupid Deaths, you know, from Horrible Histories. I love it so much. There is one, one die card which I think is incredibly powerful. I think it's perhaps one of the most beautiful illustrations, but it is, it's a serious one. I'm just going to put it on the camera for you to see, but it's, I died alone in a care home. Oh. I think that image is absolutely stunning. And it is just one of those things where it really makes you think, God, does anyone want that? Is that really what anyone wants? And yet that is like essentially the focus of our attention within this country is on aged care facilities. But actually only like, I think it's less than 20% of Australians will actually die. 8%, yeah. And yet that's the focus of like 
all the big debate nationally is aged care when actually most people are never going to die there because a they can't afford it b they're you know maybe they're young when they die and and so it's a really skewed debate in our country there's a universal noise if anyone gets that card and it's oh everyone makes that noise if they get that card they're like oh it's like it's just like their hearts sink yeah because it's this beautiful image of a skeleton in a wheelchair just looking out of a window by themselves. I would like to actually say, so I'm wearing one of the How You Dies. This is because I almost kill people in my house on a regular basis when I make chilli sauce. So I seem to be immune to it now, but everyone else coughs up their lungs. And I so you've got a ma- skeleton drowning in a vat of, of chilli sauce. Yeah. So Mickey Brogan is a local Brisbane artist. She did all the art for every card. So every card is hand-drawn by her. No wonder it took you two years. This is amazing. Yeah, and the reason we chose a skeleton is because it's gender neutral and not race specific. So it sort of like goes across all spectrums of people. So we've had people going, oh, can we convert it into a different language? Can I use it? Can I make the, we had an indigenous woman saying, can I, a girl say, can I make a version for my indigenous crew? And we're like, that'd be amazing. So it, it's, it's quite, it's, we, I think we're just at the beginning of what it could become. So we'll see, see where it goes from there. So why do you think that that noise comes up when we talk about that card? I think it's just that it really comes down to, remember I said a good death, I die in a place of my choosing, I do not unnecessarily die in an institutional setting. Like I think if you think about it, like what does in your head imagine where you die and how you die? Most people would say in my sleep at home, in my bed like it's like the you know it's pain-free there's no suffering you're in a place that it represents who you are if you're in a care home it's been designed by someone who doesn't know you you're not surrounded by your things you're you know being looked after by by people who are paid to be there not by the people who want to be there necessarily i mean i shouldn't say that there are incredible people working in these like absolutely amazing I've worked in one that was actually my when I was 16 my first job was in an aged care facility and so I know that there are salt of the earth phenomenal carers uh, in these places but I also saw at the same time older people who didn't want to be there who felt very lonely who saw their family once a fortnight and if that who hadn't been outside in a year that was one of the people who I saw, like, who I had to, I was like, can I grab a wheelchair and take this person outside? They've not been outside for a year. And uh, they were like, yeah, of course you can. So there was nothing to stop me doing that. But there just was no capacity within that setting for that to be something they could do for everyone. I think this could be, you know, there's a much bigger argument and conversation to be had around care and aged care. And I think, you know, carers and people who work in aged care facilities are massively undervalued. They don't get paid enough. They're always trying to, you know, I think the model of how we do these things in terms of a for-profit model, so you're cutting costs and cutting resources, I think there are some great places. I've worked with some great aged care facilities. So we, we actually took virtual reality into an aged care facility so people could swim with dolphins if they wanted to. There are some really forward-thinking places, but I think it's just the idea of being alone, not being surrounded by people or things and the joys that you want. The last episode, I believe, of the Empathy Podcast was Empathy and Aged Care and it was all about relationship-centred care and, oh, 
Beautiful. Beautiful. So the last pile of cards is the buy cards. Do you want to tell me about that? Bye, girl. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Basically, um, so Ewan came up with the whole live, die, buy vibes. So that was good. And it's basically um, you're gone, you're dead. Now what? What do you want to happen? And so it could be how do you want your funeral to be? What do you want your family to do? Do you want to have a big statue erected about you and saying you're awesome? Do you want to be embalmed New Orleans style? So you've taken some interesting things from other different cultures. Have your skull dipped in molten gold. Exactly. I love it. And then there's the eulogy card as well. So the wild card eulogy. Save this card until the end for a chance for bonus points. Bonus minigame. Go around the table and give every player a eulogy. So people use that in different ways. So... The idea of that one is someone has a eulogy card, they can get two people to give their eulogy and they have to pick the best one. So you have to know the person really well. I think Ewan had a lot of fun with this one with his friends by the sound of it. But as soon as you start giving eulogies for one person, everybody goes like, do mine. <laughs> so it normally, turn, it normally turns into a, and it's also at the end of the game. So you might have had four or five bottles of wine by then. I love you guys. Yeah. And so, or, you know, the opposite. No one liked him. Don't even know, you know, just, <laughs> I'm glad he's gone. So I think it's, um, it was an idea that kind of like came from, I did, it's part of the leadership course. You have to go around the table and you have to say nice things about people. And it's amazing at how difficult it is for someone to sit there and hear people be nice about them. It can make people feel really uncomfortable. And I wanted, I think discomfort's okay. That's the other thing this game was designed to do was make people feel uncomfortable because change only happens when you feel uncomfortable. And, um, you can either someone might say, "Oh, he's you know, he's great this and he's given love," and so people might actually start being talk about all the things you've done and why they love you, and that in itself can be quite an amazing experience and quite difficult for some people to hear. So that's why that was there. I mean, I've been to funerals where I sit there listening, going, "Geez, I hope they knew that when they were alive." <laughs> like we wait till the very end, till they're gone, for all these people to say all these beautiful things. And I go, geez, I hope they knew that. One of the members of our network um, in Western Australia for her 60th birthday um, had a living wake. So everyone rocked up thinking they were coming to a party. And she was like, I want to know what people would say. Like, and I want them to, I'm going to get them to sign this like tablecloth that I have. And that's actually going to be her death shroud. Like, um, and I just think, I guess, how powerful it is to hear those things before you die so that you can go on with your life knowing who you are and how you're valued by your loved ones. So I, thought, I think it was such a cool idea. Amazing. So if we look at this game as sort of the catalyst for change, what do you want people to know with or without the game? What do you want people to know and do and how do you want the, I guess that waspy culture that you said, how do you want that to change? What do you want to see happen because of this conversation? Lots of things, um, but I would say that the main ones are that we can open ourselves up to death as being a reality within our lives. I think as soon as we can, you know, be real, with each other, we can have different conversations. Um, I would love to see people planning for what they want and then living like they are going to die because we are, we all are. Um, and I think it can be incredibly liberating. 
I would love to see more people opting to die at home and making provisions throughout their life that will enable that to happen. Um, yeah, there's a number of things that we'd like to change in the system, I think. I think there's two areas. One is obviously having these conversations and so people know, so loved ones know what you want. But then also it's the practical side of it as well is start creating, uh, getting a will and doing advanced care plan and telling loved ones. Because I think one of, you know, when someone dies, the amount of stuff you have to go through, you're grieving already and they're like bank balances, social media accounts, passwords to Netflix, where's my car parked, are there spare keys, what happens to the pets? There's millions of practical things as well. So there's the emotional, conversational, let's go on that holiday now while we can, because I, I want to go to the Caribbean and to around there. But there's also the uh, getting stuff sorted so your loved ones or your daughter or whoever it is knows where stuff is and you've got it ready. Because everyone goes, I'll do it next year, I'll do it when I'm ill, I'll do it, and then you don't. Yeah, absolutely. It made me do a will, just my, starting to make this game. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Gentlemen, I just want to say thank you so much for this conversation today. If people do want to find you, if they want to buy the game, where can they reach out? So there's a website. It's carkedit.com, C-A-R-K-E-D-I-T.com. You can go buy the game on there as well as T-shirts and stuff. And I think there's also links to Good Death Impact Network because we're really lucky. So I actually would like to do a shout out to the network. So there's lots of people who are part of the network across the whole dying industry or sort of like, and they've really, they've, you know, they've tested it. They've given us ideas. They've helped design it. And they're also sort of like really involved much more than I am actually in the process of dying or being a death doula or being a funeral director. And they offer support and resources around dying and death. And so on, on the game, there's a QR code. On our website, there's a link to that network. So you, you can have access to all these resources. So if you've got any questions about any of this, you can actually go and find probably resources or people who can help answer it. Yeah. The QR code is next to a picture of a snail with a knife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's a slow... That card was um, a slow death. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very slow death. But, yeah, within the instructions, there's also need support so there's some helplines as well as information on the good death impact network gentlemen thank you so much for today i genuinely appreciate your time especially you you and on your birthday thank you so much pleasure it's been fun it's been really fun thanks Thank you so much for listening. My name's Leanne Butterworth, founder of Empathy First. Empathy First is a social enterprise and our goal is to create a world where people feel heard, valued, visible and safe through healthy empathy training. To achieve this, we run in-person empathy training as well as online courses and we also are starting a shop where you can buy empathy cards to lift and support your friends, family and colleagues. You might also like to watch my TEDx talk how healthy empathy can save lives, including yours. You can find it all at empathyfirst.com.au. <laughs>